0: Today's readings are Psalm 22, 1 through 5, and 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 11. They can be found on pages 509 and 1067 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Psalm 22, 1 through 5. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. 2 Corinthians 4, 7-11. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that His life may also be revealed in our mortal body. The word of the Lord.
1: Be to God. Yeah. I' bring this over here. And uh, that's right, I didn't turn the light back on after, there we go. I invite you to join me in prayer. Our God of grace, as we open up our hearts, our minds, and our ears to your, your voice, your presence, your being, and your love, we do that from different places. So whether we come from a place of doubt or comfort, whether we come from a place of hurt and woundedness, or a place of relative calm in our life, whether we come feeling like we've never felt closer to you, or like we've never felt farther away from you, we invite you to make yourself known in the ways we need to meet you today. Because truthfully, we long for you, we have longings for the kind of presence that you offer us and the kind of goodness and love and mercy that you offer us even though we're not always aware that that's what we're chasing after sometimes we're going to incredibly miserable places like drinking out of a contaminated puddle rather than the fresh, flowing, spring-fed, spring-fed water that you provide. And we, all of our lives really are more of a mess than we care to admit. And your story keeps singing the song to us over and over again, that we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever imagined. And so during this, this time now, may we hear that message in that grace through your Holy Spirit's help. Amen. We have a question of the week, and so every week you can fill this out. There's a worship guide that we, um, that you might have gotten one of, or maybe we ran out. But there's a tear-off part of that that you can put an answer down to the question of the week. I don't know what the one is for that you can fill out today, but you fill that out and and or use that card to connect with us more if you need to, and drop it in a basket later. Last week we asked the question, "What have you lost?" and we got some good answers. Someone said. My marbles. They're not on the screen, are they? No. What have you lost? Um, Someone said, mostly my mojo. Someone said, uh, keys, baseball cards, stock market money, guilt. Someone else said, I've lost my privacy, control of the TV remote, any shred of coolness, and my keys. That's the price of parenthood, and it's totally worth it. And someone else said, you know, what have you lost? They said, the island. I'm just trying to get back. That's just a reference that you either get it or you don't. <laughs> Speaking of what's what's lost, um, I'm reminded that when I was in high school, I lost my wallet for what ended up being the last significant time in life that I lost my wallet. And at the time I counted back and realized I had lost a wallet nine different times uh, throughout my childhood up to that point. And so sometimes when one of my kids is, is getting really broken up about losing something, I say, eh, don't, don't worry about it, it's normal. you know. I lost my wallet nine times when I was a kid. And only that last time did I get it back. But we're not here to talk about things like losing your keys or losing your wallet. We're talking about other losses, and as I said, I'm going to be referencing this book by Peter Schizero as we deal with this topic, and as he has a chapter in his book called Enlarging Your Soul Through Grief and Loss. It's a lot to consider, and he says, Most of us, in one or more moments of our lives, experience catastrophic loss, Unexpectedly, a family member dies. A friend or son commits suicide. Our spouse has an affair. We find ourselves single again after a painful divorce or breakup. We are diagnosed with cancer. Our company suddenly downsizes and we find ourselves unemployed after 25 years of stable employment. Our child is born severely handicapped. A loyal friend betrays us. Infertility, miscarriages, broken friendships, loss of memory, or mental activity, abuse. And as, you know, maybe there's a chance some of you hear that list and you think, oh boy, that's such an extreme list. Yeah, right. But then I think as that list just goes through, I think almost every single one of those things in that quote I picture a real live person that I've walked with over the last 10 years at City Life Church. And so really, I thought it would it would be a lot better. We're going to hear from Scripture, but we're going to have all of this punctuated by stories of folks here at City Life Church who I asked their permission, I invited them to give some summary of their losses and how they put it into words and I didn't give them a lot of parameters for that and you're going to hear some of the raw statements of folks who are sitting here with you this morning and they all gave me permission to use their names and so we'll be sharing some of those thoughts throughout about how God has enlarged some of your souls through grief and loss. Starting with Jared Fisher, he says this, Chris and I experienced a prolonged season of loss, saying goodbye to three parents, four grandparents, and an uncle within the first seven years of our engagement and marriage. We saw loss radiate out, each new shockwave reaching and changing everyone else in our new, larger family. But on top of grief, it was a winnowing of those a winnowing of those most able to provide us both unconditional love and wisdom, just as we were entering adulthood and marriage. Yet while our compounding grief often left us emotionally bereft, it also produced a, a weary clarity, a thankfulness for each other and for those still with us, and a more mature mutual faith, both in God and in each other we understood more the imperative God gives us when he tells us to mourn with those who mourn. All of our mortal losses, physical setbacks, and emotional burdens are useful, painfully useful, in seeing who our neighbors truly are, in understanding how creation groans for restoration, and in glimpsing a bit more into how God grieves for us, even as we are grieving for ourselves. I wonder, did you think, have you thought of grief and loss that way? As, as being that useful? As having such lessons to tell us? It's not common to view grief grief and loss that way, especially in our culture where Peter Scazzaro says, we ret- routinely, our culture routinely interprets losses as alien invasions that interrupt our normal lives. We numb our pain through denial, blaming, rationalizations, addictions, and avoidance. We search for spiritual shortcuts around our wounds. We demand others take away our pain. And yet, the Bible seems to suggest, the Bible seems to give permission to not avoid, to not run away from, and in fact, to go straight into it. As Gerald Sitzer in his book, A Grace Disguise, reflects on the loss of his mother, wife, and young daughter from a horrific car accident, he chose not to run from his loss, but to walk directly into that darkness letting the experience of that overwhelming tragedy transform his life. And he learned that the quickest way to reach the sun and the light of day is not to run west, chasing after it, but to head east into the darkness until you finally reach the, sun, the sunrise. Now, I think that's, uh, that quote is a little bit removed, but the image is powerful. And I think it's exactly what the Bible's inviting us to do when the book of Psalms, which is really considered by not only Jewish believers but also Christian believers, not only ancient Israel but the church of Jesus, the Psalms were considered the prayer book of the people, the worship book of the people. It was, it's a, a collection of 150 prayers or songs, prayer songs, And they're filled with every conceivable emotion and experience that you could go through. And it seems sometimes when you read through it, heavily weighted on extreme pain and difficulty and loss and how to put words to that. And so throughout the Psalms, you're given, if you treat it as the prayer book of the people, you're consistently given permission. And not only permission, like, oh, maybe you should pray through your losses once in a while. Not only permission, but actual language, intense language, like that of Psalm 22 that we just read. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? And so we have not only permission, but these intense, intense words of almost accusation to God. It's as if God wants us to dive in with our whole self rather than walking around like pretending it's not happening or trying to put on a smiley face. Um, Another person, Laura Zaremski. Forgive me that I have so many papers up here that I have to make sure I have the right one in front of me. Laura Zaremsky shares this. My first experience with loss came at the age of 16 when my older brother was killed by his girlfriend's former boyfriend. It felt like being thrown into another world like the Upside Down and Stranger Things. The hallways of my high school looked the same, but I existed somewhere else. I only reconnected, after the school nurse pulled together a handful of students with recent losses for weekly meetings. The experience planted a seed that took root and grew 15 years later when I was invited to support others at a nonprofit grief center. While sitting with people grieving, it felt like the spirit entered into the void left by my brother's loss to meet them in the void caused by their loss. It was a feeling of incredible love described by another volunteer as agape love, a Greek word that defines God's immeasurable, incomparable love for humankind. With each loss, God draws us closer. He fills the holes in our hearts with agape love. In The Listening Day, author Paul Pastor puts these words to us from God's voice saying, you will lose everything you thought was yours and I will give you all things. And so, losses open up an opportunity to to look at, well, okay, what do we have? What do we have? And And I just love the section of scripture that we read this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that gives us the image of treasure. What do we have? 2 Corinthians says treasure, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We have a treasure. When you've been given a treasure, I don't know if you've ever been given a treasure, but when you have been given a treasure that can't be lost, all the other treasures in your life begin to show their relative value. It begins to be clear where the, you know, and these other things that you thought were so important, they become almost like disposable things that you might even trade in for more or to get closer or to value more that bigger treasure that you can't lose. There's that great scene, you know, in the first book of Harry Potter where Hagrid and Harry are talking and Harry doesn't really know anything yet about what's happening. He's just getting one little clue at a time. And he's concerned now as Hagrid has him and is basically kidnapping him from the Dursleys. And, and, and Harry says, Hagrid, I haven't got any money. And you heard Uncle Vernon last night. He he won't pay for me to go and learn magic. Don't worry about that, said Hagrid, standing up and scratching his head. Do you think your parents didn't leave you anything? But if their house was destroyed, they didn't keep their gold in the house, boy. Nah, first stop for us is Gringotts. Wizards Bank, have a sausage. They're not too bad cold. And I wouldn't say no to a bit of your birthday cake, neither. Wizards have banks? Just the one, Gringotts, run by goblins. Harry dropped the bit of sausage he was holding. Goblins? Yeah. So you'd be mad to try and rob it, I tell you that. Never mess with goblins, Harry. Gringotts is the safest place in the world for anything you want to keep safe, except maybe Hogwarts. Harry is discovering that there's all these things that are true about him, powerful things that are true about him that he had no idea. They were just there and they were true of him and he's only now being led into it. That's a good picture of what it means to become a Christian. But specifically in this one, it's this amazing reality of, of a treasure. He's, he's set. He's fine. He's fine. The goal is stacked up in a special, safe place. That's what it's like to be a Christian. That there's a secured treasure, even the most precious things in our life that we might grab hold of, we might enjoy, and they're good things, and they're fine things. It's not wrong to enjoy them. But even the best that you can enjoy in this world can't begin to compare to the treasure of realizing your identity before God that's been secured and can't be taken away, that you are God's child, forever beloved, as if there's a VIP pass around your neck that you can't rip off and you're invited into the inner circle with God, and that's never going to go away. And so in loss, Christians return to their treasure, in loss, Christians are experiencing the trauma, and it's very real. It's not just a flippant, easy thing where you smile and you go, oh, it's fine, I lost that. I've got God. It's not. That's not how the Bible deals with it. It's trauma, but it's a traumatic grappling with returning from lesser treasures to your secure, permanent treasure with God. Whatever that might mean, whatever smaller treasures have been ripped from you so we listen into a couple of other city lifers Natasha Thompson speaking about physical limitations and pain grappling with chronic pain is not like grieving a death where the loved one is gone here the ghost of the old body stays present she is different a different kind of partner now one you can't live without but one You must fight hard to love as she is. The occasional reminder of what was lost takes your breath away. And you have to ground yourself in the present moment or risk being consumed with sadness. Like Paul's, this thorn in my flesh is an invitation for God's strength to be made perfect in my weakness. So I shift my attention, often as I can, to the presence of God who offers nothing but life abundant to those who trust him fully. Or listen to Kathy Flaherty speaking about what it's like to lose her husband. The loss of a close loved one has made me focus more closely on God as the giver of life. To explain this, I look at two items in my home a telescopic photo of the universe in my personal journal. The photo indicates the big picture, existential grief in life and death events. It reminds me that this life now is not yet the eternal one, and I must leave it in God's hands as he commands the universe. Then there is day-to-day grief, learning to live in those moments devoid of the person who used to be here beside me. As I review past entries in my journals, I am reminded of the times I saw the fingerprints of God and the details of my life. At times I wondered, what are the odds of that coincidence? God's spirit feels closer, and I hope I am learning, often though with faltering steps, to moment by moment depend on him to guide me and to trust that Jesus is working on my behalf. You hear how Christians are grabbing hold of their ultimate treasure because suffering and losing and grieving sifts your treasures. And things that seemed so solid and so so life-giving and you look forward to and you embrace with your life Well, when loss comes, when the you-know-what hits the fan, then things, you start to look at things, and things can seem a lot less weighty, especially when some of them get taken away. So I love how this passage invites us into the word treasure. But I especially love, and it's almost like I'm saving the best for last in a way, I especially love what it does with the concept of treasure. Because that short phrase is so powerful. We have this treasure in jars of clay. It's not just a Christian rock band <laughs> of 20 years ago. Um, jars of clay. Clay, let's just say clay jars so that you know what I'm talking about. Clay jars. Now, this is how highly valued suffering has been in the Christian experience since the very earliest decades. Is that It's saying this, we have a, an undeserved treasure, a massive undeserved treasure that we didn't know was there, like Harry in Harry Potter as he's you know, discovering he has this gold in the bank. Okay, so we have this incredible treasure, and yet we're told it's held in breakable containers. You can't see through clay, so the treasure isn't even revealed. The only way the treasure is going to be revealed is if the clay jar is broken. It's almost like it's necessary. This is how much value the Apostle Paul, as he writes this letter, and the Christian church then and since then has put on loss and suffering and the experience of it and the power of it here in this church for the last 2,000 years. Part of why it's so um, affirming that I include people's story with grief, because if you're going to see the gold, if you're going to see the treasure, you have to see it through the broken bodies and lives that are right here. This passage is telling us that a way to share the treasure of God, the way for the world to see it, is actually through looking at it in people's broken lives, in their losses. And so we see how different this is from our culture's perspective that we started with, you know, that quote about running from it, hiding from it, covering it over, putting on a happy face. We look at it as we don't, we don't pray for losses. We stop short of that. We don't say, God, please take someone I love away from me this year. And yet, we don't pray that, and yet we definitely look at them as this this place where the treasure comes alive. And Katie Amadeo, who couldn't make it today because of one of the very things that she grieves is the loss of her um, energy level in her physical body with um, chronic fatigue syndrome. She shares this. I don't know why that God has me experiencing a difficult childhood, sexual abuse, rape, and then the long, hard work of healing through God's grace, and then chronic fatigue syndrome. But okay, here I am. This is what my life is. I make the decision to focus on what I do have, not what I am not able to do. The prayer of St. Francis ends with, it is in dying in the self that we are born Into eternal life. Let me say that again. It is in dying in the self that we are born into eternal life. She goes on this pairing away of who I identified as changes the parameters of the question who am I? I look less to myself and more to God, and for that I am thankful. Twice in the passage that we just read, we get get at why the treasure in the clay jars analogy is given. Twice it's emphasized so that, in verse 10, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And then again, verse 12, so then, or I'm sorry, verse 11, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Um, in 2 Corinthians, Paul is saying something that's really reflective of what's essential and what's at the center of the Christian faith. Is that for the Christian, now things have been sort of turned upside down or inside out, if you will, just this massive paradigm shift. That now when I suffer or when I lose Christ is revealed in my broken body, in my broken life. Our world, as you know, is dominated, it seems. It's dominated by death and loss and grief. Just look around you. You have to really put blinders on to not see it. But the story of the Christian faith says that God, welcome back, kids. Kids are finding their parents. The story of the Christian faith says God allowed himself to be swallowed up in the loss and in the death that seems to be so pervasive in our world. And this is what I would call the great reversal of the cross. The great transformation of the cross. The great, like, treasure that comes to us through the cross. That when Jesus took on the words of psalm 22 and jesus ends up being the one in his dying crying out my god my god why have you forsaken me that came from psalm 22 now jesus is taking those words on his own lips there's an explosive transformation happening with our losses where you say wait a second is god losing right now and if so why Is God losing so that we might gain? So that there's the father losing his son, and there's the son losing his father. And so the Christian marvels at the transformation of Psalm 22. And that's really the punchline of any sermon on what is our treasure in loss and in grief. Is that now, you know, as being voiced there on the cross between the father and the son we know that you and I might never again have to worry that we will have to fully pray that prayer. Oh God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We never have to enter into the ultimate desperation of that cry now that Jesus has done it on our behalf. Because we know now we, have, we will never be forsaken in the way that Jesus was forsaken. And that's a treasure that we'll never lose. Let me just finish with this quote, again by Peter Schizero. There are many rich fruits that blossom in our lives as a result of embracing our loss. The greatest, however, concerns our relationship to God. We move from give me, give me, give me kind of prayer life to an intimate, loving prayer life characterized by loving union with God. When we grieve God's way, we are changed forever. I invite you to pray with me. Our Heavenly God, as we look to you, the mystery of loss and grief is great. It is beyond us. It is not something we can understand. And so we give thanks for the um, words of so many people at City Life this morning who have experienced it, and you have given them words, and you have given them a path through their grief and loss. Some of us stand this morning on the other side of losses that we have not revisited sufficiently and we have not allowed you to use them to enlarge our soul. Others of us stand on the other side of losses and grief. They are to come. They are ahead of us. And we need your help now that your treasure would sink deep into our life now that it might be that much more accessible to us And that we might be that much more properly oriented when things of this world are taken from us. And God, most of all, what we see this morning is that you are not a distant God. And that we might not have answers to why um, the most horrible things that we'll experience or see in this world, why they happen. But one thing we can never do is accuse you of being distant and remote. You have entered in, you have received the losses and pain, the horror of suffering and injustice. You have received it and you have entered into it for whatever reason to bring us home and to call us your own. Let that comfort us as we walk this troubled life. In Jesus' name, amen.